Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jason takes it himself, look at him turn back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankle. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown. Watson, a magician. Mahomes winds it up, wide open as Hill. Welcome to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Marov. As the offseason rolls on, as this pandemic goes on, we have been taking some steps forward this week, some encouraging signs that things could slowly start getting back to normal. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, informed teams that they can reopen their facilities if they are in compliance with league protocols and state guidelines. The governor in Texas and California announced that professional sports without fans can reopen in the next few weeks. We got NASCAR on Sunday as well. So slowly but surely, we are starting to get some good news and hopefully that will continue. On this week's episode, we have another special guest as former NFL quarterback and current ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky joins the show. Dan is a rising star at ESPN, someone who just really knows his stuff and understands the game, and it was good to get him on to talk some quarterbacks and to talk about his career as a player and now with the media. Before we go to Dan, a quick word from our exclusive partner, betonline.ag. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls. Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action that is going on over there. Bet online, your online wagering solution. All right, so now here is my discussion with the former NFL quarterback and the current ESPN analyst, Dan Orlovsky. We started by talking about some of the quarterbacks around the league and then shifted over to his career as a player and how he went from retired football player to being all over ESPN. I really enjoy this one. So here it is, my full discussion with Dan Orlovsky. Joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast, he is a former NFL quarterback. You now see him all over ESPN as an NFL analyst. It is Dan Orlovsky. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well, man. It's good to be with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate you coming on here on the podcast today. So you're obviously a big quarterbacks guy. So we're going to start over there and then we'll talk a little bit about yourself as well. But first, I want to go back to the NFL draft. Plenty of quarterbacks selected early on. Which quarterback for you drafted in this year's class is in the best position to succeed in the short term and in the long term? Well, I mean, that probably is a dual part answer. Uh, Short term, 
it's Justin Herbert. I mean, because the Chargers are such a sound and solid roster. It's almost roster-wise similar to a team that, you know, takes a quarterback at the back end of the first round. That usually is a playoff football team, and they reach early uh, just because they have the guy that they want, but that team doesn't have a lot of holes. You know, the Chargers are a year removed from being 12-4 and and a team that many thought was going to go into New England and beat the Patriots two years ago. They just turned the football over so much last year, and their offensive line wasn't great, but the additions that they made in the offseason, you can make the case that they're starting four, meaning two wide receiver, tight end, and tailback, or some combination of something like that, is in the upper echelon of the NFL, top five in the NFL skill player-wise, two additions to the offensive line, a top five defense. If you look at quarterbacks that have gone in as rookies and played well both individually and had team success, it was most recently Big Ben and Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. And both those guys had number one defenses in the NFL when they did it. And the Chargers could be, make the case to becoming a number one defense in the NFL this next season. So um, I think right now, if Justin Herbert had to go play, they wouldn't ask him to do a ton. He would play well. And you don't have to go score 35 a game to win football games. Uh, long term, uh, you know, I, I think all those quarter, quarterbacks, certainly in the first round, are set up to play well long term. I'm a big Zach Taylor believer. I think Zach Taylor in Cincinnati – can move things in the right direction with his experience with Sean McVay and then Brian Callahan, their offensive coordinator, and his experience with Matthew Stafford. I also believe that Joe Burrow is going to be an absolute rock star. And Cincinnati drafts well, drafts draft sound, usually doesn't spend a ton of money on free agency, so they're not often making mistakes. Now, maybe they're not adding a super important piece via free agency either, but I do believe that Burrow is set up for the long term. I know his division is going to be super strong with the young quarterbacks in that division as well. Brian Flores gave me a year of believing. You know, I still have to see maybe a little bit of what their offense is going to look like now under Chip Gale Chan Gailey and how it evolves for Tua Tungavailoa. But I still believe that Joe Burrow long term because he's going to be so good. Yep, and you know, you mentioned Zach Taylor. And Zach Taylor was with the Rams in 2017 when you were there as well. Another person who was on that staff was Matt LaFleur. You know him pretty well. You're with him in Houston as well. So you didn't mention Jordan Love, another quarterback taken in the first round. Matt LaFleur is the head coach there. They have Aaron Rodgers. He's on a big contract. He wants to play into his 40s. He was one game away from the Super Bowl. They need wide receivers help. I've asked this question to previous guests as well. But what were your thoughts on the Packers taking a quarterback and trading up for a quarterback in the first round? Yeah, you know, I wrestle with this one. The moment the pick happened, I got it. It made sense to me. I said, listen, if you, if you, if the guy is there that you want to go get and you believe he's your answer for 15 years, you get him. There's no question. So I didn't necessarily mind the first round pick of Jordan Love. Now, there's also some variables that allowed my mind to go in different places. I, I said when it happened that the 62nd pick of the draft was going to be paramount the Packers to get a wide receiver mm -hmm. and something that they've done over the last decade plus has been really good in second round receivers for them to take a tailback I just can't get past that I can't get past them still thinking or them still if they believe Aaron Rodgers is good enough for us to win a Super Bowl with and he's playing at a good enough level 
them not going, okay, we need to go get one of those receivers. Because my thought is this, you took Jordan Love for the future. And that's fine. That's your decision. But if you're going to do that, then use one of those future picks to move up in that second round to go get a receiver that helps you for the now. And that's where I thought they failed in that aspect. I also kind of look at it as if Aaron Rodgers has been upfront and honest about wanting to play into his 40s with the Green Bay Packers, do they – it's either this, that they are 100% committed to sitting Jordan Love for three or four years at a minimum, or they're going to usher Aaron Rodgers out. Both of those things cannot be true. They can't allow Aaron – or believe Aaron will play into his 40s at a high level, but also take Jordan Love with the first pick, or first round pick. Because he, if, if you believe he's going to play into his 40s, then Love sits for at least three to four years. If he sits for three to four years, you should not take him in the first round. Um, and so that's, you know, it's a, they made their decision and they chose the future rather than the present. Yep, and you know, Adam Schefter was on this podcast two weeks ago, and he said it simply put, when you take a quarterback in the first round, all that says to your current starting quarterback is that he is on the clock. We don't see teams anymore drafting quarterbacks in the first round and sitting them for three or four years. It doesn't happen anymore. And also, you mentioned the Packers taking a running back in the second round, A.J. Dillon. I said this last week, but if you think about it, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are both entering the final year of their contracts, and we know how teams in the NFL have been hesitant to pay running backs big money, so it makes you wonder if they are already thinking about that as well. Now, I want to talk about the Los Angeles Rams. I mentioned before how you were with Malafleur in 2017 with the Rams. You were also with Sean McVay and Jared Goff that year, which was their first year together. Looking at the NFC West as it stands right now, the 49ers obviously made the Super Bowl last year. The Seahawks were in the playoffs. The Cardinals made some big-time moves this offseason. No one is talking about the Rams as a contender. Are people wrong for counting out Sean McVay and company? Yes. Um, you know, we uh, obviously fans understand how difficult it is to find a head coach that is going to be for longevity, not just a coach that is a flash in the pan. Now, people might go, well, Sean McVay is a flash in the pan when it comes to the success that they had going to the Super Bowl in 18, and I would go pause, pause, pause. Sean McVay has been balling as a coach since he was play calling in Washington in 15 and 16. And so like, he is not a, he is a, has a track record of proving things over five, six plus years of really good football. And he's only getting better. I love the fact Sean McVay came out last week and was doing an interview and he was asked, Hey, why the regression for Jared Goff in some people's eyes? And what does he have to do to get back? And within his answer, Sean McVay goes, and he goes into this incredibly detailed answer, answer as anyone who's ever heard Sean talk should not be surprised, but he's saying, I got to be better. I have to be better for Jared. We all have to be better around him. I've got to give him better answers. Now he needs to make the good decisions and playing in the timing of the rhythm of the offense, but the coach automatically says, all right, I, I got to figure this thing out a little bit better. I did not expect, I was on record last year. I thought the Rams would fall off. They lost 60% of their offensive line going into the season. You, you just don't – you don't that, – that is not a plug-and-play. No position is in football. But an offensive line where 
you know, the, the, the offense schematically is so dependent on them playing as a singular unit, all moving as one with their play action game. I expected that offense to struggle and the interior of their offensive line struggles. And so I think that the, the bounce back for the Rams will be quicker than people anticipated to be. Their two offensive linemen, their young offensive linemen, Noboom and Allen need to step up and make their progression into their second year. Jared's going to be fine. Jared's going to play really well. Van Jefferson's a nice addition for them. Cam Akers is a nice addition for them. I don't think this is going to be the valley that people are expecting in Los Angeles. Yep, and I've really been all in on Sean McVay ever since he got the job with the Rams. Just the way he handles himself is so impressive, and I could see him ultimately becoming one of the all-time great coaches in the NFL, but when you look at this season, people are not as high on the Rams. People don't think they'll do well this season. You said you think Jared Goff will be just fine. I think Jared Goff is the one quarterback in 2020 who has the most pressure to succeed in the upcoming season. For you, which other quarterback entering the season will have the most pressure to succeed off the bat? Oh, everyone. Um, <laughs> no, you can make well, the case for a lot of guys. Uh, you know, like if, if Dak Prescott signs his franchise tag, he's under a ton of pressure because that should be a top three offense and he should be, he should have incredible numbers. That's as, as you can make the case that's the most talented offense, one to 11 as there is in the NFL. So there would be a ton of pressure if he plays on the franchise tag. Uh, Derek Carr, you know, the Raiders made a move to go and and bring in Marcus Mariota and give him real money for a reason. And so there's going to be a ton of pressure for him to go perform year two with Gruden. You know, like you're you're only going to get so long to take the offense to the next level and the addition of some of the young receivers that they're played with. I think there's pressure on Carson Wentz. I don't think there's a performance pressure on Carson Wentz. There's a, like, he's in that mold right now where it's like, I don't really necessarily care what you do in the regular season. You're going to play well. You always have. I expect you to play well in the regular season. It's more the pressure of you're going to have to now go into the playoffs, play healthy and play well. Like that's the expectation and the pressure that is there for them. I think there's a ton of pressure on Tom Brady. You know, I thought he would leave New England. He left New England. I agreed with the decision, but he left, right? And so he made that choice to go in and make that move. And um, there's a lot of people counting him out and thinking that he's done. And there's some pressure for him to prove him right and all those people wrong. And so uh, there's, there's, there's plenty of quarterbacks that have a, a ton of pressure on them. I think it's a little bit difficult to pinpoint it to a singular one. I don't know if there's one guy in the NFL that has more pressure on him than anybody else. Jimmy G could be in the conversation um, because of the way his contract is set up and how good of a roster that is. Um, but I don't know if there's a singular guy that you're saying he's got the most pressure on her, on him. Interesting choices there, Dan. Um, we'll get back to the quarterbacks in a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about you right now because I find some of it so fascinating I've been following you on Twitter for a while. You are one of my favorite follows on Twitter. But after you retired, you started posting breakdowns on Twitter, right? Then all of a sudden, I see you on Good Morning Football with Peter Schrager and Kyle Brandon and the rest of the crew. And then you end up on ESPN. And now you are all over ESPN. How in the world did all of this happen? And how did it happen so fast? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. Um, you know, it's been an incredible journey and, and I, I try to kind of pare it down to a short time frame. So I think one of the main things I try to get people to understand is I've always thought that my eyes were different when it came to football. Now I believe that because when I was a sophomore in high school, I was about six foot five, 180 pounds, and I ran a six two and 40. So real quickly, and that's serious, like real quickly, I realized, yeah. okay, if I'm going to be any, and I could throw, there's no doubt about that. I could throw, but I realized I, I, I'm, I, if I'm going to be good at this, it better be with my brain. And so I really started to learn how to study tape, not watch tape, but study tape. And I was so blessed and fortunate to have coaches that kind of walked me through that. So then I went to the University of Connecticut to play football. Mm -hmm. And we were outmatched talent wise in basically every game that we played in. And so we realized we needed to do things as players to narrow the talent gap. Now, the main thing we did was figuring out what teams were going to do against us before they ever did it, taking me back to studying tape. And so I would maniacally obsess over studying tape and trying to find all these little details and tells of what guys were doing. So I would know on the field what the defense was going to do before they did it. And then I would be changing the play at the line of scrimmage. So I've got these, you know, really that's 10 years of crafting that way of looking at football wow. in a very specific way because my physical talent wasn't good enough. And then I go to the NFL and for the most part, I'm a backup and my role becomes so much more about how I can prove my worth to the team without my performance ever being factored in because I wasn't going to play that much. Mm -hmm. And so it was, again, studying this tape and diving into it to help our starter out, to help our backup running out, to help our third string wide receiver out, to help our nickel back out, to find all these things in football, tell-wise or detail-wise, and communicate it to all these different people, right? The backup running back could be brilliant and the third string wide receiver could be dumb as a brick. How do I get both those guys to understand the same message differently? And so I've got these 10, 15, 20 years of cultivating the way I look at football and then communicate it that way. And so I do the Twitter stuff and uh, I, I've been adamant. Peter Schrager is one of the people that I have to thank. And I'm outspoken about that because he reaches out to me and says, hey, can you come do this on our show? And so I go do it on the show a couple of times and it opens up some doors. And then, um, you know, I the opportunity to go work at ESPN. Now, I'm fortunate. I'm from Connecticut. ESPN is yeah. based in Connecticut. And so I'm local. So for me to go, hey, Dan, I get called. I, I would get a call at you know, nine o'clock at night. Hey, can you come in tomorrow? Yeah, I can drive there. I'm there in an hour, right. you know. And so it's different than so many guys who have to get on airplanes. And so um, and I think the big thing is, you know, ES walk through an airport, ESPN's on every television. And mm -hmm. so there's a power in ESPN. And so that's kind of been the journey. Um, I think my eyes are a little bit different. Uh, I'm confident in what I see and, and the way I can communicate it. And I take a ton of pride in trying to do it as good as I possibly can. That is just absolutely incredible, Dan. Like you really are a rising star in the media. You've been crushing it ever since you got in and it's only going to get bigger for you. And you know, you, based off what you just said, it sounds like you are basically a coach in the NFL as a backup quarterback. And the reason I bring that up now is because Adam Schefter, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he put out a tweet in January that teams have called you about possibly coaching. Is that something you would seriously consider when you look at the big picture now where you do have this media thing that you are growing in? Is that something you would seriously consider? 
Uh, oh, of course. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I will always have a part of my uh, passion and my heart and thing that makes me tick to want to get into coaching, that intimate relationship, the challenge of it, everything like that. I, my favorite part of playing football was the locker room, uh, being with the fellows and, and working at a common goal together. Now, two things. One, I look at what I do right now as a version of coaching. I'm just not coaching on the intimate level to 53 guys in a locker room. I'm coaching to tens and thousands of hundreds of thousands and millions yeah. of people tuning into a certain show or a game. Mm -hmm. And so I look at it in that aspect Two, you know, the most important thing to me outside of my faith is my family. And I, you know, we've got four young kids and um, I get weary of the lifestyle that coaches lead. I envy those guys or admire them. Let me say that because I know the yeah. challenge and the sacrifice that they, those guys make when it comes to their family. And I don't know if I'm ready to commit to that unless it's the perfect chance and the perfect opportunity. I've had some great conversations that have been flattering with organizations and they've been super appealing. I'm, I'm always going to have those conversations. Maybe one day, like I said, if it's the right organization with the right coach and right people and right quarterback, it's a yes. Right now, I absolutely adore what I get to do at ESPN. Yeah, and there are other former backup quarterbacks who are having success as coaches in the NFL. Like Mike Kafka in Kansas City is considered a rising star and a future head coach. Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, of course, is a Super Bowl winning head coach. So we've seen it before. But you have something that is just different than all those guys. You mentioned how you have four kids, right? You have triplet boys in your house. Yeah. I just want to know what was it like being in the NFL when raising triplets at home? Because I have family with twins and it's really hard. Of course, it's a blessing. Yeah. But it's not easy. Like for you, they were born when you were the starting quarterback for the Colts. It was the end of the season. There was one more game left. And then you end up moving that offseason and signing with the Buccaneers. Yeah. <laughs> How much of a challenge was all that? Yeah, so that season that my, my, our children were born, 2011, um, I actually lived in India and played there. And my wife stayed and lived in Philly. So um, we weren't together for, for the great majority of her pregnancy because she was high risk and had to stay at UPenn. And they were born the Tuesday before our last game, yes. And so I was there for the birth and – fly back and play the game and fly right back. So it was, it was chaos. And then, you know, they were in the hospital for about seven weeks or so, um, just growing and getting healthier. They were born so small and thankfully, thank God, everyone is healthy and, and crushing now. But, you know, so the, the first almost two months of their lives and our lives as parents, we were in the hospital, um, you know, and just kind of like, literally trying to get to the next hour um, and everything is obviously very much so a blur you know and free agency comes and, and decide to sign with Tampa and that was a big conversation of okay where are we going to go and my wife has always been great about like listen we go where you want to go type thing and so I will move we were in a little you know spot in Philly near her family and then in, in kind of April of that year May of that year you know April April, Easter weekend, we drove down to Tampa with our kids and um, set up shop in Tampa. Now, the, I guess the benefit, my kids were born on December 28th, and so the, really the first eight months of their lives, um, we, I didn't, my work schedule wasn't outrageous. You know, like I wasn't 
you know, going to work five days a week, eight to five or nine to five and all that. We lived in Florida, I had OTAs, so kind of eight to two, being outside with young kids is much easier. So the first eight months, um, we did not have help. We didn't have nannies or anything like that, never have. That's just something that my wife chose. The first eight months, because of the, you know, we weren't in season, I think we're a little bit easier. I have no idea how people who have, you know, a basically a 52 week, you know, nine to five job, how they do it. I, I have total respect for them. Um, but it was chaos. It still is. Um, but it's, uh, it, it, it's in different waves. Man, I can't imagine that. Like I said before, I have family with twins and I know how hard it is on them. I can't imagine having triplets during the NFL season. Granted, it was near the end and you guys weren't in playoff contention. But to have that happen, traveling the way you guys did, switching teams the way you did, switching cities, getting ready for a new coach, new team, new playbook, having all of that happen while having this at home as well must have been really difficult. Um, So that's really incredible. I want to move a little bit further back in your career because you started in Detroit with the Lions and you were a part of the 0-16 team with the Lions and I just want to really know what's it like being on a team like that what is the locker room like what is the discussion between coaches and players how hard was it yeah um you know it's crazy because you know I had won everywhere I I had went and when I got drafted by the Lions I was the person going like I'm gonna change this organization we're gonna win (laughs) and I worked as hard as I possibly could um one I wasn't good enough to do that. I just wasn't the talent to do that. And two, I wasn't able to overcome all, you know, a lot of the outside of outsider things that I couldn't control within the organization. You know, when you're going through a season like that, man, it's a, it is like dying every single day, a new death. You know, it's, it's, it's like meeting the grim reaper every single day as the season goes on. Uh, I remember, you know, walking into the building, no one would look at each other. No one would talk to each other. We were just all so downtrodden because the pressure and the conversation became louder and louder and the pressure just mounts and mounts and mounts. And, you know, it's the massive elephant in the room that you can't escape and it's trampling all over you. And I was still young. And so I'm trying to like, you know, battle this or fight this. Oh my goodness. How do we find a way to win a football game? Is this the NFL? You know, like, is this how it is? How do I try to help my own career move forward. Like, do I want this to be the end? And so it is very much so this, you know, constant wave of emotion and every day, I mean, listen, I know there's a gajillion things that are more difficult on a daily basis than what we were going through and certainly myself, but you imagine, you know, I don't know, I was 24, 25 and I'm starting some games at this point and, it's November, early December in Detroit when the climate starts to get terrible and it's gray every day. And, you know, again, the national noise is so loud and, you know, it's difficult. And um, I've said I, that was probably a year that I proved, you know, myself to myself more than ever. Because when you wake up out of bed at 4.30 in the morning and it's 30 degrees out and you're 0-11, you better find ways to convince yourself to work really hard that day. And know that everybody's watching what you're doing, not only your team, but everybody. And so 
think that was, you know, a great growth process, although it was brutal to go through. I've apologized to Lions fans. I wish we could have gotten one. I'm sorry that we didn't. Uh, I think that for, for my personal experience, I don't want to say I wouldn't change it for the world, but I'm thankful that I experienced it. Yeah, that was obviously a very tough year. By the way, when the Browns went 0-16, was there like a kind of a, a sigh of relief that we're not the only ones anymore? Heck no. I had said this before. Those guys have no idea what's coming to them. Um, their names are automatically attached to failure. You know, whether they were – no single person is the reason why. And so their names are automatically attached to – historical failure and people will always look at them through that prism first more than anything else. And, um, in this era where we have social media as much as we do, I don't wish that on anyone. I respect that answer, Dan. I mean, I was not expecting to hear that, but, um, that's a very classy answer. I'll tell you that much. Um, I want to go back to the quarterbacks. You mentioned social media. I want to play a little game here. Who would you rather for the next 10 years? Because this is often debated on Twitter, and I want to get your take. So are you ready? Yeah. So first up, I'm from New York. I see this all the time. Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold? Uh, Sam Darnold. That's an easy answer for me. Um, I think Sam Darnold's one of the most talented guys at that position that has come out with the draft in years. Um, I think anyone that tries to sit here and tell you that they can make an honest evaluation of Sam Darnold is lying. There's absolutely no way he's had the bottom five offensive line when it comes to pass blocking and run blocking his first two years. He's had change over at coach and offensive coordinator, and they probably have the least talented roster skill position wise in the NFL over the last two years. What you mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that, um, Lamar Jackson, who's been absolutely remarkable. If he got drafted by the Jets, he wins MVP? No. You mean to tell me that if Sam Darnold goes to a team that has a top five run game, similar to the Ravens, and a top five defense, similar to the Ravens, we don't have a very different outlook on Sam Darnold. And so um, I still believe that Sam Darnold has this uniqueness to his game, this magical sloppiness to his game that is very Big Ben, Tony Romo-esque, that he can do things that you just cannot nor would not coach into a player. Um, and so I'm hopeful that the Jets have the right people around him are starting to. I, I still think they're a year away from even seeing what Sam Darnold actually is because his skill positions still are subpar to be, you know, put kindly. I will say, though, Daniel Jones surprised me. Um, I was very, man, what does Daniel Jones have in his game that makes him the sixth pick of the draft? You know, when you go sixth, it's like you got to be – you got to be a franchise-changing, transcendent talent. And I just didn't see that with Daniel. Um, I guess, I, you know, the, the lack of um, – I think he does everything well. At least through one year, he does everything well. I want to see him take the next step when it comes to – I'm not a huge, like, worrier about the ball security in the pocket, that if this kid works hard, he'll work at it. I want to see where his arm strength goes. Um, again – to become great, which is what you have to be when you're the sixth pick. You got to have some, you got to overcome, and his arm is just okay. And he struggled versus zone defenses last year when everybody has their eyes on the quarterback and sees the ball starting to come out and they could break and close windows. I want to see if his arm takes a step forward strength wise so that doesn't become his case. 
But for the next 10 years, I'm still taking Sam Darnold. I'm taking Sam Darnold over every young quarterback that's come in the NFL the last three years. Oh, wow. So you're pretty high on Sam Darnold. I know Daniel Jones has been working on that ball security thing. I think that will be fixed. Let's do one more, and then we'll move to the final segment that we have here. Um, Dak Prescott or Carson Wentz? <laughs> I think I know your answer. You follow me on, yeah, you, you follow me on social media. Um, Carson Wentz, it's not really that much of a conversation to me. I don't think it should be that much for anyone either, uh, mainly because just watched last season. I think Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. I have never said anything but that about Dak Prescott. He is a good player. But I would challenge people to find me when Dak Prescott has become great, when Dak Prescott has overcome. Again, when you're that top pick or big money quarterback, you, be able to, you better be able to overcome stuff around you, whether it's a bad play calling ripped by your, um, by your play caller or your number one receivers down or your starting offensive lineman's down too. Like you have to be able to overcome that stuff. And Carson did that last year. Carson went from a talented thrower to a talented quarterback last year. And that was a huge step for him. Yes, the injury issues are there. I can't run from that. I can't dispute that. That's why I said he's under the pressure to go and do it um, in the playoffs as a healthy contender. Dak Prescott's good. Um, but he's at the second rank, the second rank, the 10th rank, and the fifth ranked run game all four years as a starting quarterback in the NFL. That's a huge benefit. He had a top 10 defense every year in the NFL. It's a huge benefit when you're talking about connected sports, and that's, that impacts the quarterback's play. And so um, I think he's good uh, until I see him do something like carrying a football team last year. I don't, I don't think that him and the Carson conversation is fair. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a debate for years and years, and it just won't stop. Those two in the NFC East, Eagles and Cowboys fans, love going at it. We're never going to hear the end of it. That's just the way it's going to be. Right. Let's wrap this up with a quick five. Five questions. Try to keep it short, but if you want to expand on something, go for it. Don't worry about it. Here we go. Number one, your favorite quarterback of all time to watch? John Elway. That was my favorite quarterback as a kid. That's kind of... When I fell in love with playing the position, um, John Elway, I've been massive fans of Peyton Manning and Brady and Breeze and right now Patrick, but Elway's my favorite all time. All right. What about a quarterback in the NFL that gets too much hate but doesn't deserve it? Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is a quarterback that is, you know, trending in Hall of Fame uh, numbers. Um, if he was surrounded by a, I, I want to say, a better built organization with more consistency, and um, a better supporting cast, we would look at him very similar to the way we would look at an Aaron Rodgers type player. And you, of course, spent time with Matthew Stafford during your second stint in Detroit. I asked this question to most of my guests. Which team in the NFL is considered for you the up-and-coming team? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I, could, I could throw – I'm going to throw a couple out there. I could throw the Bengals, you know, nine losses last year by single digits. Um, and that's, you know, obviously with new staff and turnover at the quarterback position. So I could, I could see the Bengals being up and coming. I believe in the Browns. I do I think that they have the right scheme for the quarterback and the people around him. I think they drafted really well this year. Um, I would probably say those two. I know they're the same division. Oh, I, I would say the Giants and the Jets. I said this about both teams before the draft. More about the Jets than the Giants. I thought I had, I was adamant the Giants needed to take a tackle at number four. 
Um, because if they're going to become what their fans want them to become, it's going to be on the shoulders of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. And I think that showed that Gettleman understood that. And then for the Jets, I had said, dude, if those receivers fell to 11 and Joe Douglas took a wide receiver, I would be very disappointed if I was a Jets fan. Right. For him to show the organizational discipline to draft the offensive lineman, because that's what was needed long-term for Sam Darnold. Um, I'm, I would be very hopeful if I was a Jets fan when it came to that, that, that single selection kind of signaled to me, he gets it. He understands the most important aspect of football is the line. And uh, I think both of those teams still a couple of years away, but uh, are up and coming. Yeah, and by the way, the one thing that I took away from the Jets draft this offseason with Joe Douglas is that they finally have a general manager who it looks like he knows what he's doing, building the offensive line for Sam Darnold, something they had to do, something Mike McCagney did not do, and he did a pretty solid job in his first offseason. What about one thing that people think you are, but you are not? Oh, um, I'd probably, probably say offended by the safety play. Um you know, I get it pretty regularly on social media and people right. think like it's my feelings or cut me or uh, I got to be honest with you. Um, I literally, I don't, it don't, it doesn't bother me that much. Um, it was like 12 years ago. I would hope that I've moved on from it. I was in a very, I was basically in the same situation the very next week on the road against Houston. Through a 96 yard touchdown pass to Calvin. Um, I played for like seven years or eight years after that play. Uh, and so, um, I think that people think that's going to like get me sad or something. <laughs> I kind of laugh at it more often than not. So, um, I'd say, I'd say that's the one that stands out. <laughs> you brought it up yourself. So my last question has to do with the safety. You work with Matt Hasselback at ESPN. Both of you are there. Which play was more embarrassing? Was it you running out of the back of the end zone for a safety? Or is it Matt Hasselback? We want the ball and we're going to score. And then he throws a pick six to end the game. No, definitely mine. I mean, I think Matt, really? Matt was in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. At least he's in the playoffs. Like, at least he, he led his team to the playoffs. Mine was in a 12-10 loss. Uh, obviously, his safety accounts for two points in an 0-16 season. So... Um, I think mine is mine is a more glaring blooper than Matt's. My gosh, those two are just so funny. It's hilarious. I mean, his pick six and your safety. I love the fact that both of you guys just laugh at it now, and it's not a big deal. Other people might take it seriously. I know Schefter now with, with assault became a big thing, but it's all fun and games for him as well. So I love the fact that it's like that for you guys. Dan, I really appreciate you coming on here on the podcast. This was really fun. Keep doing your thing. Stay safe, and we'll keep in touch, my friend. My pleasure, man. Appreciate you having me. Stay safe. Alrighty, so that was Dan Orlovsky. Special thanks to Dan for joining me on the podcast this week. If you are not following him on Twitter, I'm not really sure what you're doing, but make sure you do that. It is at Dan Orlovsky7, exactly how it sounds. So make sure you follow him. That does it here for this week's My Sports Update football podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for downloading. It is all greatly appreciated. If you have any questions, any tips, or you want to request a guest to come on the podcast, 
feel free to send me a direct message on Twitter or leave it in the reviews on Apple Podcasts and I'll go check it out. I am your host, Ari Merov. I will be back with another episode next week and we have another special guest lined up to come on. So be on the lookout for that. Until then, so long, stay safe, and we'll chat again soon.